Amen. Tell you what, sometimes it's just a hard act to follow. Uh, Jackie was telling me, said, boy, you better bring it because your wife sure is. Uh, so I, I will do my best, Jackie, and I will do my best church. I am excited about today. Uh, I really am, and I want to thank the praise team for leading us in a time of, of worship. Listen, if you brought your Bible, I hope you've done that with you uh, and brought that with you today. I want to ask that you would turn to Philippians with me as we begin to unpack a new chapter in this letter that Paul's writing to the Philippian believers in a series we're calling Joy in the Midst of Darkness. You know, it was once said that selfishness is the greatest curse of the human race. Selfishness is the greatest curse of the human race. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment, because if that's true, and by the way, I think it is, then that means that selfishness is the primary root to a whole host of sins. For example, when you're selfish, you tend to only think about yourself, which therefore leads to pride, and that in itself is a sin. Uh, furthermore, when, when, you, when you're selfish, when you become greedy, you become conceited, uh, you become single-minded, and that is also a sin. Or, or how about this one? When you're selfish, you neglect the two greatest commands that Jesus gave us, which is number one, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, your mind, and number two, to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, as Christians, I think we can safely say that, that not only is selfishness the greatest curse of the human race, but that is also the root of all evil. As James himself says in James chapter 1, that no one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil, and He Himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Or to say it another way, when they're being selfish. When they're thinking only about how they can please themselves. Verse 15, Then, after that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Selfishness is the root of all evil and all sin, but now here's the problem. All of us are naturally selfish, including God's people. For example, when you glance at a group photo, who is the first person your eyes instinctively go to in that picture? You, right? And guess what? You decide whether or not that picture is good or whether it should just be thrown into the trash. Now listen, we, we got to ask ourselves this morning, why is that? I mean, why, why, why do we do that? Why do we tend to focus on ourselves and our needs when there is a whole host of other people that surround us and they also have desires and needs that need to be met as well? Well, I think all of us can come to the conclusion that the first person's or the first person's needs that we're concerned about the most is typically ourselves. And if you don't believe me, then just ask all the parents in this room, because as a parent myself, I have quickly learned firsthand that I am naturally a selfish person. And if I'm ever going to be a good and godly parent, then I have to put that aside and actually focus on my children's desires and needs first. 
Now, I point all that out to you today because what we're going to see in our text this morning is that selfishness is a relationship destroyer. Okay, let me say that again. Selfishness is a relationship destroyer. As I just mentioned, it can destroy a relationship between a parent and a child. But even beyond that, selfishness can destroy a relationship between a husband and a wife. It can destroy a relationship between two friends. And as Paul is going to show us today, it can even destroy the relationships that we have each other in the church. And so with that in mind now, let's look at this passage as we open up Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Paul says these words. Paul says, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. So here's the deal. Paul loves the Philippian believers. We've talked about, right, about that, right? In chapter 1, he talks about how he loves them. He loves their church. He expresses his concern and challenges them at the end of chapter 1 that we looked at last Sunday to stand their ground against an unbelieving world that surrounds them and wants to see them fall. But now as we enter into chapter 2, Paul begins to show us that sometimes Satan's tactics to disrupt the unity and harmony of a church doesn't come from the outside the four walls of the church, from unbelievers. No, sometimes, sometimes he uses the people of God from within the four walls of the church to do his bidding. And so what I want to talk to you about today is this. How can we, how can we as a body of believers keep harmony, keep unity as it relates to our relationships that we have with one another. In other words, what are the things we should be doing and not be doing if we are to have peace with one another, if we are to be of one mind and one spirit, which, by the way, that's God's desire for each and every church. Well, the beauty of this passage is that in these four verses... Paul lists out the, 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 I can't talk, the do's and don'ts of relationships when it comes to things like this. In fact, what's so neat about this passage is that they actually just make up one long and very complex sentence in the Greek when you have a, a conditional clause followed by a main clause. It's, a, it's an if and then relationship. Okay, and what I mean by that is what basically what Paul's saying here is saying, If this is true, and if this is true, and if this is true, and if this is true, then this ought to be the result. Okay, so based on that knowledge and truth, what I want us to do today is to, again, talk about these do's and don'ts when it comes to relationships with each other. And because this passage is written a little bit differently than most, I actually want to kind of go in reverse order today. I want to begin in verses 3 through 4, because that's where the main clause is. And then I want us to backtrack and go to the first couple of verses because that's where the conditional clause can be found. All right, so that's the outline for our time together today. And so as we look at verse 3, 
what we see Paul do is he gives us the don'ts of relationships. The, the, the don'ts of relationships. In other words, in this verse, Paul warns us of the two things that we need to steer clear from if we're to have healthy relationships with each other in the church. And if you notice what this verse says, then you'll discover that these two things are the very same things that got Satan kicked out of heaven as he too was filled with what Paul says is selfish ambition and conceit. For example, do you remember that passage in Isaiah chapter 14? Remember that passage? It says this. It says that Satan wanted uh, to descend into heaven. It says he wanted to exalt his throne above the stars of God and he wanted to be the most high. Church, that's, that's selfish ambition. That's conceit. That's what Paul is talking about here in this verse. So with that being said, I would just challenge you and encourage you to look at it in this way. You are never more like the devil when you display the first two negative characteristics that we are about to cover. But on the flip side of that, you are never more like Jesus than when you display the second two positive characteristics that we're going to look at here in a moment. Okay, so these first two characteristics, the negative characteristics, they're going to ruin relationships, but the other two, the positive, they'll actually remedy them. All right, so enough small talk. Let's just dive in again to these do's and don'ts of relationships. And again, we're going we're to start with what not to do first. And according to Paul here in verse 3, the first don't is don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Look at what he says here again in verse 3. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Now listen, I think all of us in this room know what selfishness is, and if you don't, then it's just because you're selfish, right? But seriously, I think all of us understand what selfishness is because it's all around us. Is it not? For example, as parents, we see it in our kids, Uh, As workers, we see it in our workplace. As smartphone users, we see it in social media and on our news feeds. And let's be honest for a moment, as a person, we see it in ourselves, don't we? In fact, just just to make this all the more clear, I actually ran across a, a study this week. And it says this, and I quote, If Americans could have their wildest dreams come true, 38% said that they would choose to win the lottery, while only 1% said they would choose world peace. Now, church, if that just doesn't illustrate our selfish nature, then, then I don't know what does. Because, you see, we would much rather live a life of comfort and luxury where people are serving us rather than us seeking to serve other people. In fact, just going back to, to the, my parenting illustration for a moment. I've learned that as a parent, I've had to teach my children a lot of different things. For example, I've had to teach them how to tie their shoes, how to ride a bike, how to brush their teeth, how to have good manners, how to respect adults, how to treat others. The list goes on and on and on. But you know what I haven't had to teach them? How to be selfish. They are just a natural at that. And guess what? So are we. So are we. Selfishness comes as natural to us as breathing does. But here's the thing. Well, I think all of us could agree to that, that at our core, we are naturally selfish people. When it comes to having healthy relationship with others, there's just no room for selfishness, is there? I mean, I mean who, who enjoys having a friend who always dominates the conversation? 
Who, who enjoys having a friend who always puts their priorities, their needs above your own? Who, who enjoys having a friend who always wants the spotlight to be on them? And, and who enjoys a friend who always tends to think that the world just somehow revolves around them? See, there, there, there are no more, or not many more off-putting things in this world than selfishness, is there? It doesn't unify others, it actually divides others. And again, who wants to be around someone like that? And so Paul, what he's saying here is he's, he's understanding that the need for unity and harmony to be an active ingredient in a church, if a church is going to be spiritually healthy, then, then they cannot be selfish. There's, there's no room for that. Okay, So, so it, it's actually going to just tear it apart if people are being selfish, if we put our wants, needs, and desires before others. Okay, so that's the first negative relationship that we're not to have with each other, which again is don't be selfish. But Paul goes on to give us a second thing that we are not to do when it comes to relationships, and that is number two, don't be prideful. Don't be prideful. Look again at the beginning of verse 3. Paul says this. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Now listen, i got to say, I don't use the King James Version Bible all that much. I do look at different translations, but I actually love uh, how, the, how the King James Version puts this verse or renders this verse because it actually says, instead of conceit, it says vain glory. And really when you look at the, the original language in the Greek, that's actually a much better translation of the word. But you see, this word conceit or, or again, vain glory, it, it describes a person who thinks that they are the most important person uh, in the room. They, they, they puff themselves up with pride. They look at their achievements in life as this status symbol of look at me. Uh, the person that they are in love with the most oftentimes is themselves. That's, that's again what conceit means or, or vain glory means. In fact, just, just the other day I was watching TV and one of those Planet Earth shows came on. You know what I'm talking about, those Planet Earth shows? Uh, I was watching that and it was on the ocean and they were talking about a, a puffer fish. And if you know anything about a puffer fish then you'll know that when they feel threatened, they're good, they puff themselves up with air, and they have these spikes, right, in an attempt to make themselves seem as, as big and intimidating and like, don't mess with me. And, you know, as I was watching that, I just kind of began to realize that, that people who are filled up with conceit and vainglory, they're kind of like a puffer fish, aren't they? they? They puff themselves up with pride, especially when they feel threatened, or they're criticized or critiqued in some way because, again, these people want to be noticed. They want to be seen as important and someone who is extremely valuable. But again, but again, is that a quality that others find attractive? Better yet, it, it, as a member of this church, is that someone that you would naturally want to associate with in these four walls? Of course not, right? I mean, who wants to be around someone who constantly makes you feel inferior to them? Who wants to be around someone who constantly puffs themselves up with, with pride as an arrogant swagger and has this, this demeanor about them as they walk into the room? Again, no one wants those things and have those qualities. And again, that's the point that Paul is trying to make. Okay, so if selfishness and pride are, are characteristics that we are not to have if we were to, to relate well to others... The question now becomes, well, what then, according to Paul, 
should we be striving for in our relationships? Well, Paul goes on to give us an answer of this. If you look in your Bible again, in verses 3 through 4, and in this section, Paul's teaching right here, Paul tells us about two things that we should be doing when it comes to our relationships with others. The first thing he says is this. He says, do be humble. Do be humble when it comes to relationships. Look at verse 3 one last time, and we'll move on. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Now listen, I want to be really careful how I talk to you about humility today, because I realize for many people, they fall into this trap of thinking that humility means that you must think lowly of yourself or that you must think uh, poorly of yourself, but that's not a good biblical definition of what humility is. No, biblical humility, listen to this, biblical humility, it, it doesn't mean that you think less of yourself. It just means you think of yourself less. Let me say that again. Biblical humility doesn't mean that you think less of yourself. It just means you think of yourself less. In other words, if you want to mesh well with other people and have meaningful and authentic relationships with members of this church and beyond, then don't be selfish in your relationships. Don't be prideful in your relationships. No, be humble and consider others as being more important than yourself as you seek to love them and serve them in your conversations and in your actions. Now, let me just say something in Paul's real quick. And let me just say that pride will make you an enemy of God. Okay, pride, it will make you an enemy of God. Now listen, I again, want to make you really just think about that for a moment. Because I believe that the quickest way, if you want to know the quickest way to have God be against you, is to puff yourself up with pride. And I promise you, in no time flat, God will do just that. You will become an enemy of God. However, on the flip side, I would also say that humility will make you a friend of God. And that the quickest way to win his love and affection is to be humble. Now you might say, well, Jeremy, how can you say something like that? That's, that's kind of a strong statement there. Well, listen, twice in God's word, once in James, once in 1 Peter, the scripture says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. He's an enemy of the proud, but he gives his grace to the humble. They are friends of God. Okay, so again, if you want the resistance of God in your life, then be prideful. But if you want the favor of God in your life, then, then be humble. Because you see, when you're humble, not only will you receive God's favor, but you'll also receive the favor of God's people in the church as you seek to love them and to consider them above yourselves just as Christ loved and served the church. And through this, Paul says, unity will be birthed. Okay, so again, when it comes to relationships, Paul says, don't be prideful. Don't be, don't be selfish. That doesn't promote unity. That doesn't promote harmony in a church. Instead, be humble and think of others more than you think of yourself because that's in the key ingredient for God's people to be in spirit and in one in cord. And then in verse 4, Paul goes on to give us one more to do when it comes to our relationship with others. And in essence, what he says here is this. He says, do be considerate. Do be considerate. 
Now look at verse 4 now as, as Paul says these concluding words in this section. He says this. He says, Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. And listen, truthfully, this is really kind of acts as a summary of Paul's teaching in verse 3. So I'm not going to spend much time talking about this verse right here. But what I think this verse does teach, it, teach us is this. Is that when I put myself and my needs first, and you put yourself and your needs first, then at some point we're going to collide. At some point our paths are going to cross in a, in a very violent negative way. That's just the type of divisiveness and division that, that selfishness and pride can oftentimes bring into relationships. However, if I decide to put you in your needs first, and you decide to put me in my needs first, well, then we're going to get along just fine, aren't we? We'll, we'll, we'll have unity with each other. We'll have harmony with each other, and we'll be a church and a people who is, again, united in one spirit and intent on one purpose, which is to glorify God and to make His name known. All right, so if humility and consideration, if, if they act as the, the, the basic of great relationships, the question now becomes this, what then is the basis of them? What is the basis of them? In, in other words, we've talked a lot about the, the, the what when it comes to understanding what a healthy church should look like in terms of how they re- relate to other people. But now as we begin to look and, and change our gears to verses 1 and 2, we're going to talk about the why. Okay? Meaning that we're going to understand the basis as to why we should do the things that Paul has listed out for us to do in verses 3 through 4. Okay, so look with me again just to remind ourselves at what Paul says here, beginning in verse 1. Again, we're going in reverse order today. Paul says, beginning in verse 1, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in one Spirit, intent on one purpose. All right, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. Well, I think that we would all agree that being selfish and prideful is wrong when it comes to our relationships and that humility and consideration is what helps nurture and grow unity and harmony in a church. The reality is that that preaches really well, but it's extremely hard to live out, right? Because let's just face it, okay? Let's, let's face it. While we are redeemed people of God, at the same time, we still struggle with sin, don't we? We're still, we're still tempted to be selfish. We're still tempted to be prideful, especially when it comes to our relationships. And so if that's the case, then how in the world are we actually going to live this teaching out? Well, again, may I remind you this. The person you know best is who? The person that you know best is who? You. You know yourself best. And because you know yourself the best, you also know your failures. You know your weaknesses. You know your sins, your temptations, your shortcomings, your afflictions, and so on and so on. Now, the reason I I tell you that is because when you truly look yourself in the mirror and really look within, you begin to realize that this whole idea of you being this cookie-cutter Christian and acting like you got your act together in front of others, it's just one big fat lie, right? 
I mean, at the end of the day, you are a sinner in need daily of God's grace and his mercy that he freely gives us. And you see, when you begin to grasp that reality, it's going to begin to transform you. And it's actually going to begin to transform how you relate to others. Okay, in other words, through our sins, we should realize that the root cause of them is because we're prideful and selfish people. But through the gospel, we should realize that we receive God's mercy. We receive his grace despite of them. And because of that, we should be humble and considerate of others because Christ was humble and considerate of us even to the point of death on a cross. And you see, in these two verses that we just read, what Paul does here is he fleshes out that idea. Uh, Ultimately, I think he gives us three reasons why we should pursue godly and great relationships with other believers in the church. And so as we begin to to close out our time, I want to quickly show you what these three things are. And again, they'll act as the application of our teachings that we just learned about in verses 3 through 4. All right, so so the first one is this. The first one is this. The first reason we should be humble and considerate in our relationships as it relates to other believers in the church is, number one, because the world won't provide it. That's the first reason. The world will not provide it. Let me just illustrate this to you by, by drawing your attention to the first two words that Paul uses in verse 1. Uh, in my translation, he says, if then. Maybe for others of you reading in another translation, your Bible might say, therefore. Okay, in other words, what Paul is doing here is he's expounding on something that he just taught. And so, if you go back to your Bible, so the last thing that he just talked about, then you'll find the verse, uh, the passage in chapter 1 that we just looked at last week, beginning in verse 27. Again, it says this, Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or an absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, continuing together for the faith of the gospel not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. All right, now I know that some of you are probably like, where are you going with this, Jeremy? Well, listen, what I want you to see is that in that passage that I just read, Paul is telling the Philippian believers that they are surrounded by an unbelieving world that wants to see them fall. This world wants to see them suffer. They want to see their faith crumble. And so as Paul goes into chapter 2, his point is that as believers, we shouldn't add to those pressures that we're already faced with when it comes to those things. In other words, what, what Paul is saying here is that since the world seems to be set on persecuting the church, let's not add to that by the members of the church seeking to persecute themselves. And by the way, can I just say this? That when Christians argue, and when Christians fight each other and get in these really heated things, it should be seen as grotesque. That that should be seen as odd. Because they're just adding to what much of the unbelieving world is trying to do, which is to divide us, which which is ultimately wanting to see us fall in our faith. Okay? And so again, what Paul is saying here as we enter into chapter 2 is that although the world is filled with its own prideful and selfish motives and agendas, as Christians we shouldn't be like that. No, instead we should stand together. We should, we should seek to build each other up in humility, in consideration, because the world certainly will not provide those things for us. 
Secondly, secondly, Paul shows us that another reason that we should live this teaching out is because we belong to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. In other words, you should be humble and considerate to other people because you are a Christian. And so Paul says here in verse 1, If then there is any consolation or, or comfort in Christ, which obviously there is, then that should compel you to treat others the way you have been treated through Christ. But you see, when you accept the gospel into your life and you begin to realize that Jesus loves you, that Jesus died for you, that Jesus washed away your sins, that, that Jesus restored your relationship with God, that Jesus promises you heaven, then that should cause you to no longer be prideful and selfish, but humble and considerate because you realize that without Jesus, you would be dead in your sins. And so the idea here is this, church. Even though you're still a sinner and not always perfect, as a Christian, I can still get along with you. And even though I'm still a sinner and I'm not always perfect. As a Christian, you should still be able to get along with me. You want to know how I got to that conclusion? Because Jesus gets along with all of us. And we're all imperfect people. So if Jesus was willing to be humble, if he was willing to be considerate, even to the point of death, as followers of him, we too should have those same types of attitudes and characteristics when it comes to our relationships with others. Okay, so we should do this, this, live this teaching out because number one, the world will not provide it. Number two, because we belong to Jesus. And then lastly, we should live this teaching out because we're a spiritual family. We are a spiritual family. Look, look one last time at our text with me. Getting in verse one, it says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit intent on one purpose. So to sum all of this up for us, Paul's saying that the world always has been and always will be against the church. Unbelievers will always mock our Christian values and beliefs. Unbelievers will, will always challenge our faith. But if that is compounded, when our own spiritual family is at odds with each other and is dysfunctional, then that's going to make matters only worse. So here's the point as it relates to us. Here's the point as it relates to us as a body of believers. We're a fellowship with the Spirit. Okay? Meaning that we all have the Spirit of God living inside of us. We are alike in that way. Furthermore, we're in Christ. We're in Christ, so we're related by Christ's blood that was spilled on each and every one of our behalves. And so that should cause us not to have quarrels with one another, but to live in harmony, in unity with one another, so that, as Paul says at the end of verse 2, we will be united in one spirit and in one intent, which is to build each other up in Christ and to share the gospel with the lost. Friends, it's God's desire. It is God's desire for each and every church to be in unity and harmony with one another. But please listen to this. There will never be unity in a congregation apart from the people walking in humility. Never. There will never 
be unity in a congregation apart from the people of God, walking in humility in consideration for others. And so as we close, church, church family, let us be a, a body of believers who is not filled with selfish ambitions when we are only looking out for ourselves. And let us not be filled with pride and conceit as that's only going to lead us down to a road of, of arguments and quarrels and division. And we said, let us be a body of believers who is in one mind and one spirit. Let us be a body of believers who, who enters these doors each and every Sunday humbly. Let us seek to to serve others before we serve ourselves because when we do that, we will be united in one spirit and one intent which honors God, which builds each other up and allows us to work together to share the gospel with the lost, which that's the purpose of the church. Would you pray with me?